welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for um, your heart, your love for your people. And uh, I, I ask God that you would encourage them tonight. Lord, that you would bring them courage and hope that Jesus, you are our Savior and our King. Lacey on the keys, everybody. Lacey on the keys. Oh, you, I thought you were doing like an encore. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> just a long holdout of that pad. Okay, we like it. We like pads. All right. Um, I'm going to read a scripture. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, please turn to them. If not, get your phones out and light them up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and we, you should read your Bible, P.S., it's important. Um, and especially in the Christmas season, you should read through the Christmas stories and say, God, speak to me through this. Let me know how you think, and, and let me know how you feel, and let me know your thoughts about us. And there's nothing, there's no story in the scripture as gratuitously generous as the Christmas story. And I'm not going to preach about that tonight, but read that and, 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 and embody that and and recognize the great love of God in that. Matthew 1.5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I'm going to read that again. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. There's some kind of nonsense, idiotic, uh, bumper sticker Christianity that's like, I can't be perfect, <laughs> so I'm going to have an affair. <laughs> this is a nonsense. It's nonsense. We we're, grow we're in Christ. He changes us. We mature. We walk more and more in righteousness so we can sow seeds of righteousness, so we can sow, you know, so we can have beautiful families and communities and churches. It's what God has for us. It's one of his promises. It's one of his beautiful ways. Matthew 1, verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, <laughs> observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Is it possible that you can be doing everything right and the thing you really want isn't here yet? Are we in Luke? Everyone's like, where, what? Are you making this up? Is this apocryphal? Uh, <laughs> is it Luke? Here it is. One, there it is. There it is. Somebody changed it. It's probably Goldie. She probably... Sabotage me. Luke chapter 1, 5 through 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I just think it's incredible because if you talk to people, they're like, you know, I must be doing something wrong if X hasn't happened. But you look at your life and you're like, I'm not married yet, God. I must be doing something wrong. I, you know, I, my finances haven't broken through, God. I must be doing something. Like, whatever the area where you need God to step in, it's possible that it's just the timing of God. 
Like, we always want everything immediately, day one, right now. Make it happen, God. And if it's not, it's like you're, we're, in a, we're in this frenetic state to try to make it happen. Instead of a fundamental belief that God is the ruler of the universe, and if we trust him and trust in his nature, that he will fulfill his promises in his time and season. I was talking to my friend Carlton in the back, and I, uh, in the back here, and I said to him, I wrote a book called Get Rich Slow, and I said, but I, I haven't released it yet because I'm not rich yet. So that's the problem with the book, because it's slow. <laughs> Because some things take time. Some things take time and season, and it's actually in the nature of God for there to be time and season and waiting. And it's not necessarily because we're doing something wrong. Does that make sense? Especially as Christians who are covered with the blood of Jesus, walking in relationship with God, saying, God, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm directing my action toward you. I'm directing my heart toward you. I'm directing my intention toward you. And I'm maturing from baby state to full maturity in the kingdom of God. God loves that. And he doesn't demand your absolute perfection. And that's not the reason why everything hasn't happened. But God's timing is such that he's the controller, he's the ruler of the universe. We don't get to just make things happen. And often when we do make things happen in our own timing and we push past God's time, we birth Ishmael's instead of Isaac's, right? Then Isaac is the son of promise. It's the promise that God has for you. And Ishmael is your act in the flesh that's a pain in the butt forever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, this thing has been a pain in my butt forever. Well, maybe that's because you birthed it in the flesh. Sorry. Have you ever done that before? Because I have. I felt like the Lord's like, wait. And I'm like, no, I need to do it now. And then it all turns into a disaster because it was birthed in the flesh and disaster comes along with it. Waiting on the promises of God is a hard thing to do. It's not fun to do. It's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. And we look at other people's lives and we're like, they have it. Why don't I have it? When Jesus is, is on the earth, he's about to take off. He's done his miracles. He's died. He rose from the dead. And the disciples are talking about John, who Jesus loves. And he's, it's seemingly he's going to have a pretty decent path. They're like wondering, is he going to live forever, right? They're like, they're, like, they're like theorizing about John, who Jesus really loves. And the idea is that he's not going to die a horrific death. He's going to go to the island of Patmos and have revelations. And Peter's like, well, what about, what about John? Why can't I get his story? Right? Peter's like, oh, God, Jesus, why can't I get what he's getting? And Jesus is just like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do what I tell you to do and trust in my process. Jesus doesn't even give him an answer. He doesn't even answer him. <laughs> it's like God's almost like, I'm not con con condescending to give you an answer about why I rule the universe the way I rule it. I you're not my boss. I don't. It's the, same, it's the same story in Job. When Job questions God and his processing and his timing, God's like, you're not even allowed to ask me those questions. You're allowed to trust me. And trust my nature, trust my goodness, and carry the promise of the presence of God and the promises of God even into your old age.
Just let that one sit. <laughs> God, I don't want it in my old age. Well, maybe that's actually the best thing that could ever happen to you in your life. How do you know that's not true? Maybe it's actually the best possible application of the promise of God for you. How do you know that's not true? I love Christmas. This is a, what a Christmas message this is so far. Ho, 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 jingle, jingle. You know, what a Christmas message so far. <laughs> I've titled this message, A Battle of Kings. And um, I, like, I like this idea of a battle of kings. I, I, I do, before I really totally launch off into that, I want to just qualify it with, one of the reasons I love the Christmas season so much is I like gifts. I like to give gifts, and I like to receive gifts, especially motorcycles, which I've never received. But one day, in Jesus' name, I will receive a motorcycle. I will receive a motorcycle. <laughs> um, you know, gifts are a way to honor people, right? It's a way to, it's a way to show love. It's a way to show appreciation. It's a way to show respect. And this Christmas story is about, you know, we give gifts on Christmas. That's the, the main thing we do. Canadians call it Boxing Day, right? I always thought it was about, like, Tyson, Mike Tyson hanging out in Canada. It's not. It's about giving someone a box. It's about giving someone a gift because the Christmas season symbolically is about God giving us a gift. It's about something we don't deserve, something we didn't work for, something we didn't earn. And Christ is a gift. Salvation is a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't work for it because God loves you so much. He gave you Jesus. He gave you Jesus to be in your life and to change you and restore you and do all these incredible things to you. We oftentimes walk through life and we don't examine why we do things. Like we forget, this is the whole reason I'm even doing this thing because it's supposed to remind us all that God is the great gift giver. My dad uh, is a major Christmas guy. I grew up with a fondness for Christmas in part because of his excitement for Christmas. And I was thinking, you know, I. I joke about this regularly that people in New York move to New York because they hate their families. <laughs> and uh, it's half true. Um, <laughs> but for those of us who have tense relationships with our families and, and all of those kind of stuff, you know, this, the Proverbs I was thinking about this morning, I didn't say it in this morning's message. The Proverbs says something like this. Um, the way to have favor with a ruler or a judge is to bribe them. Really weird proverb. You don't expect it in the Proverbs. It's one of those you just don't. You're like, is this legal? Is this okay, God? <laughs> Bribing people is okay? There's this idea that when someone is ab above you, like a parent, right, that a way to win their heart back is through a gift. That's the concept. The concept is a gift engenders favor from the recipient of the gift. One time... Um, it was Mother's Day, and I hadn't gotten Bethany anything, so I just went to CVS, like or Dwayne Reed, like or right across the street, and I just bought a bunch of crap from from Dwayne Reed, and then I pretended the kids picked it out, and I was like, the kids picked all this out individually because they love you, and um, 
That's all. That's the whole story. There's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing about God. There's no analogy. Don't do that, husbands. Bad. That was evil. Evil of me. All right. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> okay, let's jump into not the book of Matthew, but the book of Luke. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. I try not to skip these kind of things that people skip over. If you ever do a logic, you ever do those logic problems? We were talking this, about this the other day. You do a logic problem, and, and the smartest people on the IQ scale, they see patterns, and they, they see patterns in places, and they can solve the problem because they, can, they, can, they keep trying new methods to get through the puzzle or turning the cube to see the pattern until they have it figured out. And I think the word of God functions that way. I think God wants us to look at it and turn it and meditate on it. Madame Guillon um, wrote, she's a famous uh, mystic saint of yore, and um, she would say you should read one scripture and you should meditate on it and you should repeat it one scripture per hour. Reading, thinking, God, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, reveal this to my heart. It's a really cool idea. This idea that you don't just like breeze through it, but what if there's treasure in here? What if this stuff is a, a gift of God to humanity, and it's actually the word of God, the creator of the universe, that it's mind-blowing and genius, but a lot of times we just pass over it. And Proverbs says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to seek, search a matter, to seek it out. And so that he's called us to be kings like unto him, and that we're called not just to pass over, but to search out the scripture and say, "What? wait a second, why is this here? Why is this phrase here? Why did you say this, God? Luke 1.5, it says this, in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. This is interesting to me because God sets Jesus in this setting. The Christmas story is in this setting where this guy, the king of Judea, whose name is Herod, he's known as Herod the Great, is the ruler of all of the land, Judea. Now, if you remember um, your history, the nation of Israel is at this time subjugated to Rome. They live underneath them. They are not technically slaves, but they have to pay duties and royalties. And it's kind of like the mafia. You know, the mafia shows up at your corner bodega, and they're like, we want to protect you. And you're like, I don't really want protection. They're like, uh, protection from my fist is what I meant. You know, pay me now. That was kind of the situation. And there had been this split. Judea was the... Um, northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom had was Samaria and they had been for pretty for generations intermarrying and not living really as God's chosen people anymore but Judea was trying to hold on to it and Herod was the ruler he was known as the king of the Jews I don't know if you knew that they called him the king of the Jews they called Herod the king of the Jews when we think the king of the Jews we think about the sign that was put over Jesus head on the cross, right? We think about that sign, the king of the Jews. But it says this, in the time of Herod the king, who was at the time the king of Judea, who called himself the king of all of the Jews, a new king comes to earth. And this is why I titled this the Battle of Kings, because there's a secular kingdom that's vying for your confidence, 
It's vying for your allegiance. It's vying for your trust. It's vying for all of the things that kings like, that kings want. And then there's this king that's born in a manger that's overlooked by most of the nation, most of the world. Oh, gosh, it's just, just so brilliant. The whole story is phenomenal. All right, Herod the Great. He was the king of Judea um, from 40 B.C. till about, I don't know, 5, 5, 8, 5 A.D. He died 5 to, 5 to 12, 12 A.D., somewhere in that range. Founder of the Herodian dynasty, born 73 B.C., son of Antipar. He was Edomian origins, which... He, which means he was of this people group of, that, were, that were known as the Edomites. And they were a mixed genealogy. They weren't exactly Jews. And so the Jews didn't like him because they thought he was kind of a fake Jew. He didn't really care. He was going to exercise his power. And he was very Machiavellian in nature. As far as posturing to whoever was there, whatever he needed to be, in order to gain power and gain support. This is exactly the opposite of the nature of God, who is uh, uh, consistent in his character and never changes. Herod and Jesus are the polar opposite people. They're two totally different kings, two that vie for your attention and affection. I want to show you some, um, some things that are, that are beautiful about this story. And before I continue with Herod, I just want to say about about um, Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, that in the Christmas story, both couples that are imbued with a, a, a new person, Christ and John the Baptist, are both beyond appropriate boundaries. Obviously, Mary, far beyond. She doesn't have didn't lie with anybody with the Holy Spirit, but, the, but Zachariah and, and Elizabeth, they're beyond the bounds of receiving a child. They're beyond the, 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 the land of hope where you would even be impregnated again. It's physically impossible for them to receive the promise of God, and this is the kind of setting that God comes into to communicate to his people that he loves to do things that you believe are impossible. He loves to show up on the 12th inning when the game is already over and you're going home. He loves to show up at that time and be the savior of the world. I love the impossibility in the center of the Christmas story, and if you want to hear more about that, I preached about it this morning, and it was like a real message. There were points, uh, there were scriptures, there were illustrations, the whole kind of thing. It wasn't just me rambling, so people said it was good. I don't know. We'll see. But the, but the Christmas story is predicated on this gift of God that's beyond the bounds of possibility. And Romans 4, 9b says this. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited, Paul says? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? He says it was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the idea here is it didn't matter if there was a corresponding action yet. It was the faith that was the initiating agent that established through God's promise the righteousness in his life. And that's what God asks of us. That's what he does. He says, will you believe the promise? 
Will you subject yourself to the secular king and the secular system and the secular statistics, whether you're past the point of no return, or will you subject yourself to the king that's born in a manger? The, Herod's name, it's, it's a great name for a king. His, his name essentially means hero. That's what it, that's what it means. And if you read about him, he was, he, was, he was really not liked by the Christians and the Jews, uh, both. If you read some secular scholars, they say, well, we don't really know if, if uh, he tried to kill little babies. It's like maybe, maybe not. If you read every scholar from that time, including the secular scholars during the first century, they all say he was murderous and, ki- and, and killed lots of babies. I just, it's so frustrating. Like, every time you read a secular scholar, they're like, what did God say? Yeah, the opposite of that, probably, you know? And we're like, oh, man, that's an interesting thought. (laughs) There is this, there is this, there is this baseline desire for for Herod that he's he's driven by competition, by the love of power, by the accumulation of power and resource. And this is common with every governmental system. If you read uh, about aristocrats, if you read about democratic societies, if you read about kingships and rulers, they're all driven by accumulation of power. And we know that power corrupts, right? Power corrupts unless you're God, then you're okay. But for all other systems, there's the corruption of power. This is what they said about Herod. Um, this, is, this is this guy, Macrobius, who wrote in this pagan document or non-Christian document called the Saturnalia. It said, when it was heard that as, partic- as part of the slaughter of boys up to two, year old, two, two years old, Herod, the king of the Jews, had ordered his own son to be killed. He, the emperor Augustus, remarked, it is better to be Herod's pig than his own son. This was a reference of how Herod as a Jew would not kill a pig, but had three of his sons and many others killed that would be willing to kill his own flesh and blood for the accumulation of power, to hold on to his power. And we live right now in a culture, right now in America, where we have a government that is desperate for more power. They love the accumulation of power. They love holding power, and they don't care if people die. They don't care. They, they want accumulation of power. There's a whole system right now that's saying, are you willing to trust God with your life and your destiny and your plan and your safety, or, are you willing to, or, or do you want to subject it entirely to a secular king and a secular system? This is not particular to our time. It's always been the battle. That Jesus is king, he's our primary position of safety, of security, of trust, of provision in our life. The provision thing always gets me because because uh, New Yorkers are smart and they have plans and like they have savings and they have all this kind of stuff and so they'll say things like oh, I can't tithe because how can I take care of myself or I, I can't give to this poor person because I got to figure I got a ten year plan on my stuff. Jesus says if you follow me I care for you and and I I know when a bird falls out of the sky how much more am I going to care for you? But. There's a bifurcation in the sense of this, the one secular state where I follow the secular plan and pattern and subject myself to the secular king and the other state that's almost irrational where it's saying, I trust the baby that was born in the manger. That's the king that I trust. 
It's a crazy paradox. If you're looking at the two from, from a rational perspective, the big, the powerful, the, the, the amazing, the heroic one is which, what his name means, or the baby born in a manger that I'm called to lay my life down upon before. Excuse me. According to contemporary historians, Herod the Great is perhaps the only figure in ancient Jewish history who has been loathed equally by Jewish and Christian posterity depicted both by the Jews and Christians as a tyrant and a bloodthirsty ruler. This is why our American system was set up on this, these limitation of terms, because we had this fundamental idea that sin is in the heart of man, right? We've all been touched by the nature of sin, every part of us, which is why we don't want to give one individual a massive amount of power because it will be bad for all of us. And we live in an age that we're every... It seems like every time I turn my head, we're giving the, the state more and more power. We're not, we, I, I don't think it's a bad idea because I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I think it's a bad idea because I believe man is sinful. And I don't think there's any man that should have a level of ultimate power. And that's why we've talked about in the past the beast in the book of Revelation. It's this entity with massive power that can tell you whatever to do, whatever it wants to do. And so most of you are aware that Starting tomorrow, Governor Hochul is making everyone in New York State wear masks anytime they're inside any uh, public space for the next 30 days. Um, why? Because they can. I mean, really, why, the why is because they can. Because they like to accumul accumulate power. It's part of the nature of secular kingdoms. The incredible thing about the kingdom of God is it's not about the accumulation of power, it's about the dispersing of power. When the disciples and the 120 come and touch the Spirit of God, He fills them with power and sends them out to take over the world. He doesn't say, no, 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 I, Jesus, am going to stay here forever and ever and ever and ever, set up my kingdom, and you guys just come and serve me. He, he doesn't do that. He empowers mankind. He does the opposite thing. He wants you to be empowered. And one of the reasons we're intense about truth in this church is because I want the people of my church to be empowered. I want us to be able to discern light and dark. And when we see gray, we're like, whoa, that's gray. We're going to take a moment on that one. Why we don't run to decisions and say, oh, X person, whether it's somebody on the right or somebody on the left, of course, the left are lunatics, somebody on the right even... Seriously, somebody on the right is like, here's the thing. I'm like, whoa, I don't know yet. I have, I have been empowered by the Spirit of God to discern truth, to know how His Word works. I'm not just giving my power over to you. God has given me the Spirit, His Spirit living on the inside of me. King Jesus is my ultimate sovereign. But it's really crazy because God cares about, and I, when I mean cares, he is, he is superior to and in control of every king. But when Jesus comes, he says that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, he sets epochs nominally in name by the term of the ruler of, the, uh, of that time. Oftentimes Christians that, are, that get too far um, on the other side of this, they're like, God doesn't care about kings. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about governments or politics. Or He only cares about me sharing the faith with my neighbor. No, that's wrong. That's not in the scripture. That's not correct. This story is predicated on a king ruling. That's, how, that's the introduction to the story that we have. I didn't know I was going to be this intense tonight, but come on, let's come on, let's do it. Let's preach it. 
preach it and preach it, preach it. All right. You know, there's always this, there's always the battle for, for subjugation. And it is so in the nature of Satan himself to have people subjugated to him. And let's look at this in Matthew chapter 4. It is the, it's the, it's the um, temptation of Jesus. And if you look at the temptation in an order of difficulty, the first temptation is food. It's the desire of the flesh. The second temptation is, um, you know, that God would perform a miracle. It's kind of like pride. And the third temptation is a power temptation. The third, I, I believe these are hierarchical in order of difficulty to say no to. And I also believe that as Christians, as we develop in God, he says to us, first, we're going to get you through the flesh stuff, the basic flesh stuff, like the, the lust stuff, the, the appetite stuff. That's the stuff we're going to deal with first. And then second is the pride stuff. And then finally, it's the power stuff. And if we don't work through those temptations, we don't come to a full maturity in Christ. And that's part of the picture of Jesus walking through all those three temptations. Here's this last one. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And this, he said this, all this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. The secular power wants your worship. The secular state wants your trust, it wants your subjugation, it wants you to bow down to it. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In Acts 5, 29, the disciples said this, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you, they're talking to the, to the government, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide for, we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard uh, and we must obey God rather than human beings. You know, it's interesting because um, it, would be, it would make sense for someone to say, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a Christian from a different perspective to say, well, why don't you just like, why don't you just like go away? Why don't you just like preach online? I have a really great friend. Their church is shut down this Sunday because they're, they're getting ahead of the curve and they're going to shut down for the next four weeks just to really like double support the governor. And I'm, I was thinking about this, this scripture, and imagine the, the Pharisees were like, listen, Peter, Paul, why don't you just, like, write letters to people? No, really. Why do you have to preach the gospel? They're, you're getting ordered not to preach the gospel. Why don't you just listen to them and just write letters instead? Send postcards. And they're like, nah, we're going to actually just preach the gospel. We're actually going to just be bold and loud and preach the gospel and declare God's goodness and his promise. The kingdom of heaven is superior to all of the kingdoms of man and all of the kingdoms of the earth. This is not a battle of kingdoms. So that's what I called this message. I'm going to change the title. All right. <laughs> There's no battle of kingdoms in the sense of God's kingdom rules. Daniel chapter 2, it says this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and he establishes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things and he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. God is the one who establishes kings and rulers. Doesn't mean we don't have wicked rulers. Judea certainly had a wicked ruler when that guy was chopping up babies. Amen. But God was using that 
in part, for a lot of different things, but in part, he was fulfilling this prom- prophecy that said, you know, he comes to Joseph in a dream, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, go to Egypt, escape, and it says, and from Egypt, I will send forth my chosen one, the deliverer, the savior, Christ. Why? Well, in part, it's a prophetic parallel from the slavery of Egypt coming out into the promised land. And Jesus bodily fulfills the prophecy to come out of Egypt and fulfill the promise of God. Psalm 47, 9. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. That is a phenomenal scripture. It's especially phenomenal if you get really nervous, like, oh, God, Mark of the Beast, uh, they're going to shoot me in the head. Okay, maybe that'll happen. Maybe you die. Who knows? But all of the kings of the earth belong to God. The whole story of history, God is ruling over. He is sovereign over. His hand is in control. And there is a battle in our hearts as to what kingdom, when we wake up in the morning, we will submit to. The kingdom that promises you everything you have or like everything you need and safety and a free welfare check and whatever you want or the kingdom that promises you freedom and adventure and empowerment by the Spirit of God and danger. Revelation 1.5. From Jesus Christ... He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and he is the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Jesus is, hi Goldie, great to have you here. Perfect timing, perfect timing. Jesus ultimately is the king and sovereign of the universe. And if that is true, then the next consequential question is, how do we respond to the king? How do you act in relationship to the king? Kings like to be honored. Kings like to be revered. Kings like to be respected. And um, it's hard for us because in this sense, God asks us in faith to trust him and believe in him, believe in his kingship, even though we can't see it, even though like in Bethlehem, like he was revealed in a manger, there is still in a way, his revelation is still de minimis to the world around us, and he still is in some sense today the God of Bethlehem, the king of Bethlehem, the king of the unseen, the king of the obscure, and and he rejoices when we believe him in those states. And so I I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem. I, I painted a picture and I wrote a poem, but I'm not going to... No, I didn't paint a picture. Um, I'm going to share this poem with you that I wrote. It says this, King in a cupboard, baby in the back seat, humming neon signs, buzz, no vacancy. To the poor in the grass, the world's great leftovers, redemption at last in a suspended song hovers. Through wandering and seeking, the king's blood does boil, while stars have been preaching, lay gold upon soil. Anoint your head and hide your face. Dad's listening to dreams of Egypt's escape. (laughs) Is that a snap? Is that snap worthy? (laughs) 
I'm not sure if I'm allowed to self-snap my own poem. But I like the, I like the title, King in, in a Cupboard. You know what I mean? Like, is that good? You want to rap about that, Raheem? Yes. Bring it. Bring it. The King in the Cupboard idea is that the power of the universe, the God that created everything, that from him and through him and of him all things were created, was held in this little forgotten leftover place. The neon sights of all of the hotels of Bethlehem shut him out. All the places of form and function and maybe beauty or, or hospitality, they all shut their doors to him. And the king of the universe was coming among them. And it's, if you get on your, turn your TV on, and if you listen to the news, it's like all of the doors have shut out the king of the universe again. And his promise and his hope and his salvation remains the same. And his offer and his opportunity is still amongst us today as the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of God to mankind. And I would persuade you to submit your lives not to the king of this system, of this world, of ladders and, and power, but to the king in the cupboard who fulfills his promises to you even past the expiration date. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Come on. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. Thank you that it's good, your promises are good, and you love us so much that you actually specifically called us and chose us, and you revealed your son Jesus to us. Lord, we thank you this, this evening that you're with us, and we ask that you let this word sit in our heart, the grandeur and beauty of your story in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.